without a time frame as to when it's actually going to arrive because it didn't have a flight crew. So although we got up at four o'clock in the morning and we were at the airport for a quarter to five in the morning and our flight was supposed to leave at seven in the morning, it eventually left at 3.15. Delayed. But it was interesting because sometimes you don't know why those things happen, but we're waiting in the lineup to find out how long the delay will be. And of course they don't know. Uh, WestJet, that's better than Air Canada though, but just put that little plug in there. Um, we're standing in the lineup and uh, there's a woman ahead of us and she said, I have to get home. Our home is in, in Ottawa and I have to get home because my daughter is writing an exam tomorrow at Queens. We've got to get home. And I thought, I'm in Florida. I don't care when I get home. It's February. Like, <laughs> park me here for another month. I'm good with that. You know, it's, it's warm. It's tropical and I'm going home to snow. So no rush. But her daughter had to get home. And as she's engaging conversation with us, she said, well, we really don't live in Ottawa. We live in a little town outside of Ottawa called Perth. Ah, we're from Beckwith. You say Beckwith to the people that are local, they go, Beckwith? I mean, that's not even Carlton Place, that's Beckwith. You gotta know your way around here. So she said, oh, isn't that amazing? And we get talking, and then she looks at me, and she said, I feel like I know you from somewhere. And I'm thinking, I, I don't think I know you, but I don't know who I know, I meet a lot of people. So she's going on, and she said, well, I work at the Perth Hospital, and we said, well, our son's a paramedic. And she goes, oh, you're Dave Sprunt's dad. <laughs> and just because I did that, she mimicked Dave exactly the way I would do the same thing. So what a privilege to be Dave Sprunt's dad. A lot of similarities, a few differences. He does have some of my wife in him as well, which makes him far spunkier than I do. When I was putting this mic on, Randy said to John, He's not very loud, so just put it up close to his chin. He's not like me, meaning Randy. So Dave's a little louder than I am, and his children are a little louder than Dave is. So they're the busiest three kids. Um, I won't say anything more than that. They're just a lot of fun. They're very, they're very delightful. On with the sermon, right? That's why I'm here. I forgot about that. Not really. This is the part where you get relaxed with me, and I get relaxed with you. So. I had the joy of uh, working at a ministry in Ottawa called One Way Ministries, and it gives me a lot of perspective on going to different churches and different groups, meeting with a, a wider spectrum of the body of Christ. And my wife and I, before that, had a Christian bookstore in Ottawa, so we've always been very attuned to um, different groups and, and different things that God is doing in the city. And um, yet in the, in the commonality of all that, there seems to be uh, this consistency that there's people wanting a greater freedom in Christ than they have right now. And it doesn't really matter where they're from or how good they're trying. There's this longing for something more than what we have. And, and certainly that's been my own journey. I've, I've always wanted more, not being discontent with what I had, but recognizing that there's more than what I have and wanting to be free in many areas, and yet feeling that there's, you know, I see freedom over here, and I feel stuck over here, and wondering, why am I free here and stuck over there? It reminds me of a friend of mine who got delivered of everything, and just bang, 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 and couldn't get rid of cigarettes. It's like, why? Why not this? And there's just these little things that get stuck. So today, I'll be honest, is, is more of a testimony. It's more of my journey. Um, a very recent journey, a lot of what has come into play has actually just been what the Lord's been showing me this week. So
so I pray that it is a blessing to you as it has been a blessing to me to actually dig into God's word and let him reveal the truth of his word to me and I pray this blessing upon you as well. On Tuesday night, I was sleeping, like as in just a few nights ago. And I kept having this thought go through my mind and over and over and over. And finally I thought, oh, I've got to get up and write it down so I can go back to sleep. And the thought was actually a scripture that was, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And it just kept going through my mind. Why? God obviously wanted to get my attention. And sometimes in the daytime, I don't do the best in paying attention or taking time to be still, but at nighttime when I'm quiet, you can get my attention. So over and over and over, I just pondered the scripture of he who became, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And the rest of that verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 12 says, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How could he become sin for me? For us, but for me. That I might become the righteousness of God. This week we had um, a connection. I like to keep it vague. But it was a person that I hadn't seen for a while. We were visiting with them. So I've been sharing what we've been doing and what I've been doing since closing the bookstore and being involved in one-way ministries. And part of what I have the privilege of doing is being involved in retreats. And often during these retreats, there's a period of silence where we go off and we just have quiet before God. And I don't know how many of you actually schedule quiet time. I mean, we do our devotions, we have our prayer time, we have our reading time, but just quiet time to go and be alone. And let God reveal whatever he wants to reveal. Lead us to whatever he wants to lead us to. So we have these scheduled quiet times. And what I've been become much more aware of is how close the presence of God is. And I don't know about you, but I'll, so I'll share me, and I'm not referring to anybody else, so I'm not pointing a finger at any of you. I'll just point it at me, so this is my story. But I realized just a few, days, a few weeks ago, I was driving back, and it was quiet, and I'm praying. But I'm praying like I'm firing prayers, knowing God is hearing them, but not overly convinced that he's actually heard me, just kind of like firing in the sky. And maybe that's being a little simplistic, but you understand the point of trying to get across, perhaps, that sometimes we pray, and if you even listen to ourselves praying, it's like, I hope you're listening, and, and I know you're listening. Your word says that you're, you're listening, but are you really listening? Do you really know where I'm at? Did you really hear what I have to say? So I was sharing that with this guy. And I said, I'm becoming much more aware of the intimate presence of Jesus Christ in my life. And that's been transforming me. It's been just the nearness of Christ. For a guy that grew up with rejection, to actually feel that I've been accepted and loved of God is changing my view of my position in Christ. So here I am. I'm becoming more aware of the intimate presence of Jesus, not taking it lightly, not, nothing silly, but just when I come, I know the presence of you, Lord. So I was sharing that with him. And his reply to me was, I could never do that. He said, I don't mind praying to God up there. And he's a believer. 
But he said, I see the state of my own life and my own sin and think I couldn't pray to a God that that's close to me. It just doesn't seem right when I see my own life. It's interesting because we talked about the scripture that says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless not I live, but Christ lives in me. And for the longest time, I struggled with that scripture because I couldn't really believe that Christ lived in me. I mean, I knew it positionally, but the fact that if Christ lives in me, that means he's in me. Now, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? But that means he's in me. When is he not in me? Does he leave when I sin? Does he just kind of think, whoa, Doug, he's with me all the time. So I may feel one way, I may think one way, but God's word says it's something different. The truth is, Christ is in me. So as I was thinking about this and, and pondering this, I just want to tell you that I'm going to highlight Romans 5 to 8, like about four chapters, 5, 6, 7, 8, four chapters, and I'm just going to go zoom, zoom, zoom. So if you want to follow, you can. If you want to just listen, you're welcome to. I'll tell you what passage we're in. It's just going to be highlighting a few verses, but I want to kind of give you a bit of what the Lord has been showing me as a way of encouraging me to stand firm in this revelation of who I am in him and who he is in me. So I've been reading the book of Romans, and in Romans 5, it refers to Adam, and Adam, sin separated Adam in the Garden of Eden, sin separated Adam, and consequently it separated the human race from God. Romans refers to Jesus saying he conquered sin at the cross and made each one of us right, righteous, before God. So through one man, sin entered into the world. Through one man, righteousness enters into the world through Jesus. So Romans 5, verse 17, and I'm just reading out of the NLT. I'm not sure what translation you use here. They're all very similar, so this is just out of the NLT. It might be a little different than the Bible you're reading out of. It will be different from the NASB, Don, just let you know. So Romans 5, 17 says, For the son of this one, sorry, for the sin of this one man caused death to rule over many, referring to Adam. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it, who live in triumph over sin and death through this man, Jesus Christ. As I was looking at that verse and thinking about he who knew no sin became sin for us, we are the righteousness of God in him. I am righteous, and I'm looking at this passage. Righteousness is something that we receive. It allows us to triumph over sin and death. Righteousness is a covenantal relationship with God, meaning I have a right relationship with God. It means we're declared to be Virtuous, upright, worthy, innocent, faultless, blameless, guiltless, and sinless. Righteous. I may not feel it, but this is what God's word says. So the next passage is Romans 6, verse 16. And it's a warning, and boy, did it ever catch my attention. Romans 6, 16 says, Don't you realize you will become a slave to whatever you choose to obey. You become a slave to whatever you choose to obey. A 
slave to sin, which leads to death, or choose to obey God, which leads to right living. Goes on, Romans 6.19 says, Give yourselves to be slaves of righteous living so that you will become holy. In slavery, it's not an option. You are bound to it. And it's using the cultural term of the day. It's not promoting slavery in any way, but just using something that's culturally relevant for that period of time. And so for us to think of slavery might not make as much sense. Basically what it's saying is what you give yourself to will control you. If you allow yourself to be living for Christ, holiness will control you. If you allow yourself to live for sin, sin will control you. You become a slave of that which you choose. So going forward into Romans 7, Paul writes about living this new way of life, this righteous way of life, living in the spirit, not living of ourselves. And Paul shares about his own struggle with sin. Chapter 7, verse 25, it's, Paul says, in my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So indeed, that is the place he sees himself as being in. He used to live there and still seems to see himself there, understanding that this is the state of human nature. But he goes on to say this great truth Paul goes to reveal, Romans 8, verse 2, because you and I belong to him, we have been made righteous. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you and freed me from the power of sin that leads to death. Romans 8, verse 6 goes on and says, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Verse 13 goes on and says, But if by the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. I found it interesting that I have a choice there. I put to death, and I will live life if I put this to death. Kind of looking backwards as to how did this whole sinful scenario occur? I wanted to take a look at Adam and Eve, and many of us, you know, we sell the Bible stories when we had our store, and everybody knows the Bible story because they see the picture and they read it, but there's always a lot more to a story. There's always a lot more that we can dig into scriptures and see what's behind just the, what we know initially. So going back to Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, and I assume all of you know the story, and they're told not to take of this and fruit, and they take of it, and they eat it, and sin enters the world as a result of that. The first thing that happens, and this is the part I actually want to look at with Adam and Eve and see how you and I relate to this. The very first thing is they felt shame in their own nakedness and they covered themselves up from each other. As soon as they sinned, they felt shame, and they covered themselves up. As I was thinking about that, I thought, so the fruit of sin is shame. I'm covering myself up from the closest one to me and covering myself up from everybody else. But it didn't end there said they felt naked before God, and they were afraid, so they hid from God. So not only is the fruit of sin shame and covering ourselves up from each other, it's feeling the shame and covering ourselves up from God. 
feeling nakedness, and it said they were afraid, so they hid from God. The sin caused them to hide from God whom they used to walk with in the cool of the garden. But it also goes on to say, and I learned this from my times volunteering at Jericho Road, how alcoholics and addicts always blame somebody. But it's, it's in our nature to do that. Adam, when God confronts him, Adam blames, blames Eve and says of his wife, it was this woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Really? She forced you to eat it? This woman that you gave me, God? That's not a very good excuse, but he tried it. And Eve said, that serpent deceived me. Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent. So the fruit of that also leads us to blaming, cover-up, not being honest, not being truthful with ourselves, not being honest and truthful with God. Fruit of sin, fruit of the sinful nature, it's hiding from each other, covering ourselves up to make ourselves look better. Fear, hiding from God, blaming, not being honest about our own actions, deception. And I'll tell you, since that time in the garden, we have been perfecting this. Most of what I see today are people covering ourselves up, deathly afraid to be found out for who we are. We as a culture live that way. Why is debt so high and why do we buy what we can't afford? Illusions, deception. We try to make ourselves right. We, I, try to make myself right. We try to fix the flaws. We see what's wrong and try to fix it. We try to cover it. We try to medicate it. We do anything to make it better, and yet we can't. I will speak of my own journey, that I spent most of my Christian journey trying to please God and never feeling like I did a good enough job. I tried to make myself look right to him. I tried to make myself look right for each other. I tried not to sin. We try not to sin. We try it in our own strength and fail and we try again and fail, and we try again and fail, and we try again and fail, and often just wind up just giving up thinking it's not possible to be free. We're stuck in these areas. Yeah, you might have done this over here, but I'm stuck over here. For about three months now, we have had an annoying sparrow fly into our windows at our house. I mean, it is so unbelievably annoying. 30, 40 times in a row, this sparrow will boom, 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 boom. I'm lying in bed. It's 5 in the morning. I hear boom, 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 boom. What do you think I'm thinking at that moment? Oh, God bless that little sparrow. Thank you for your creation. <laughs> boom. Get it over with, you stupid sparrow. Can you not see? You can't get through the glass. Now, we're used to it. We have a bay window on our downstairs, a bush in front. The cardinal goes boop, boop, and it would do it one year. 
And then a robin did it one year, and it would see itself and fly toward it and fly toward it. And eventually, you know, it kind of like, oh, that hurts, it hurts, it hurts. I don't know, they have no memory, they maybe have no brain, I don't know what it is, but this sparrow, he doesn't get it. So I finally, it looks weird, but by our doorway, he seems to love that, and I, I really don't like it. I'm, I have, God has done a work in me. I used to be a real clean freak. This sparrow poops all over my windows. Like there's poop everywhere. And say, hi, welcome to the Sprun household, and there's poop on either side of the door because there's a sparrow flying into those windows beside my door. So I got creative last week. I put paper on the windows. That was weird. I used to have books. Thank you, Stephen, for the books. I used to put them in the front window. It didn't do any good. But I put paper in the front window, and the sparrow stopped. And I thought, oh. So I went out with my Windex. It's good for cleaning that up. Cleaned my window ledges and sparkled them all up. Took the paper down, and as I'm writing this and finishing it up this morning, boom, 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 boom. How can it have a beak left? Oh, and then it goes and flies and sits on this little thing. Whoa, what was that all about? Boom, 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 boom. What was that all about? It's like, please. I feel so sorry for it. So I think we're going to have paper up all summer. I don't know what's going to happen. If you come to my house and see paper, just think, oh, that's because they have a sparrow that just flies under the window all the time. Fortunately, it's now concentrated to this one window, two windows on either side of the door. It's not flying to the bays, but when I covered the windows initially, it started flying into the bay. It started flying into the bed and the bathroom windows. Every window it could find, it's like, go somewhere else. Anyway, you get the point. So the reason I am really happy about that little story is I wanted to weave it into a message. If it's going to annoy me for three months, I'm going to make it work for me. So here's what I'm learning from that little sparrow. How many times do you and I try to do something to make ourselves right or to get somewhere where we just can't do it on our own? So again, I'll speak of my own journey. I would say, conservatively, 5,000 times I've tried not to sin, and 5,000 times have failed. And yet, I try it again. I'm not going to fill in the, the blank of what I'm not going to do. And I fall, and I fail, and I get discouraged. And I see how I'm supposed to be. That sparrow sees where it wants to go. It just can't get there. And I see where I want to go. I see the freedom, and it's like I'm stuck. I keep hitting this thing over and over and over again. So I try harder. I, I study more. I read more. I fill myself with the word. I memorize. I, I, my mind is so convinced. But this goes another direction. So I make rules, and we make rules and regulations. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It helps, but it still doesn't get rid of this. All of our ways to make ourselves righteous fail and will fail. All of our ways, all of my ways, lead to death. This week I was led to the passage of Philippians 3, and I just want to read verses 9 and 10. It says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through observing the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. For God's way of making us righteous depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Righteousness comes to us by faith in God, not through anything I can do to make it happen. It already is there because of what Jesus did for us at the cross. It's by faith. 
As I said, uh, I have the privilege of leading and being part of retreats. And one of these retreats we just did on Friday of this week. So again, this message is pretty fresh for me. It's not one that I've got polished, and I pray that you just understand this is coming from my heart as what God has done in me, and I pray that it encourages you as it has me. So on this retreat, we have just a simple little thing that we do. We send the people outside to go and be alone with God, and we give them something. So I got given this. Now, you know, I know I'm a senior and I forget stuff, and I put these things together, but I I don't remember what all they are. So I get this, and I go outside where it's nice and quiet, and it's a hammer, and they go, oh yeah, I know where this is going to go, it's going to be, we're going to be thinking about the cross, and it's just, you know, if it helps you just to think about something and point you to a scripture, let it do it, but if it doesn't, don't worry about it. It's just a little tool, there's nothing magic about it, but it's just something just to think. So then I start going through the bag, and I come across three bent nails. And they're beautiful old nails, but they're, they're bent. And a hammer. And I lay them on the table. And I'm just sitting there. And I'm thinking, wow. And immediately my mind goes to my attempts of righteousness. There's some areas in my life that I still struggle in. I wish I could tell you I don't. I still struggle in them. And I have literally nailed them to the cross. And these bent nails show that, yeah, you did your part. But somehow I've taken them back and really just said, I'm stuck with these. guess I can't be free. And I'm not saying that we're never going to sin, but 1 John says if we sin, not when we sin, like just we're going to do it all the time, there's this transformation that occurs, and I know that, and I know the Word of God, but my experience is this, and the Word of God is this. So why the detachment? How do I get this to align with this? I receive His righteousness by faith. All of my efforts, all of my abilities, I fail, I fall. But his word doesn't change. So I was sitting in this thought, and I remembered something I read years and years ago. It's written from the Puritans, I think it was like the 1500s. If you know of this better than I do, grant me some grace, because I was, we're trying not to bring out our phones in these quiet times, and I'm bringing up my phone, and it's a remote area, and it's taken forever to download this thing, and it's like, 16,000 pages of words. It was what I originally had was just a one-page condensed version of something called Honey from the Rock. And when I first read it, I was so stunned by this early writing because it, it said this phrase, and it said that when I do these things, when I add to what Christ has done, I unchrist him. So I'm looking at these nails and this hammer, and I'm thinking again, I unchrist Christ. That's a very unusual phrase. It's a very unusual way of putting something. So I found Honey from the Rock, and I began to read it. And this is what I began to read, and so I condensed it a bit so that we would be able to get home in time for Father's Day dinner. It says of this, 
Believing is the most wonderful thing in the world. Put anything of your own to it, and you spoil it. You must leave behind your own righteousness, your holiness, your sanctification, your duties, and your humblings. Bring nothing but your sin, nothing but our need and our miseries. It is the hardest thing to take Christ alone for his righteousness. I can do nothing but come as I am. That is to acknowledge him as Christ, to acknowledge him as the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Redeemer, prophet, priest, and king, to acknowledge him as king. Acknowledge him as Christ. And the final line here of what I was reading that I really was focused in on was, join anything to Christ of your own, and you unchrist him. I make him less. So what am I trying to do? Why am I trying to do this? I can't do anything, but come as I am. In my sin and failure, I come to him. I come to Christ, my Redeemer. To the one who makes me righteous because of the cross, I choose faith in him. I choose Christ and not myself or my ways or any of my efforts. What he has accomplished is a finished work, and it's mine to receive and believe it. Believe and receive. Last night I was praying about this, and I went to bed, and boy, I'm going to fall asleep by the middle of the afternoon, but I'm going to a birthday party, so I don't think that'll happen with a bunch of little kids. But throughout the night last night, I had the same thing happen again, and honestly, it doesn't happen. But I kept hearing, I choose. I choose. I choose. About the scripture that says I have a way of choosing. What am I going to choose? My way or Christ? I choose to come to him to save me initially. I come from my sin and my brokenness and I acknowledge that Christ died for me. And there's no other way, there is no other way but through Jesus that I could be saved. So I acknowledge him as my, as my savior. But then on this journey, I can't make myself right. When I fall and fail, I can't make myself right. He has already forgiven me. Instead of wanting to hide from him, like the sin of Adam, he invites me to come to him and says he's my advocate. I don't need to fear. I don't need to cover up. I don't need to blame anybody. I come as I am. Father, I've failed. And I see how I've failed. But you invite me into your presence. You welcome me. You love me. Your grace has found me just as I am, empty-handed, but alive in your hands. Majesty. I come as I am to receive your mercy, and I choose to put my faith in your finished work, that you who have begun this work in me will complete it to the day of Christ. I take my focus off my failure, and I place it to the fact that righteousness comes through faith in God, through Jesus. I can't do anything to change that but receive what is finished. It so frees me from this. It so frees me from hiding. It so frees me from covering up. 
It so frees me from not being honest and truthful. And it frees me not to run from him and hide. I'm amazed by how many of us, when we get to a place of we see ourselves and we know we're not right with God. And we're believers, but we know we're not right and we still want to just, we want to hide, we want to pull away. We don't want people to really see us. And the contrast is really there. He invites us, if you sin, if you confess your sins one to another, you'll be healed. He invites us to actually be honest. And I've seen time and time and time and time again in my own journey and in other people's journey as well, as we pray together and confess our sins, I've fallen. He picks us up and restores us and renews us, sets us back on that place and says, my grace is sufficient. I bring nothing but my sin and my brokenness before you. And he receives me, the Puritan prayer says. The Spirit of God, I ask the Spirit of God to control my mind and to make me a slave of righteousness by the power of the Spirit. Not a slave of sin. That's who I was. But I ask that he makes me a slave of righteousness by the power of his Spirit. I know it's Father's Day. It's not a Father's Day message, but as I was wrapping up Romans, I was going to chapter 8, and I thought, yes, this ends on a Father's Day note. So here comes the Father's Day part for the end of this message. And in case you're wondering, that clock doesn't work, and I have no idea what time it is, but this is the last part of what we're going to talk about. It's 1.30? Oops, missed the party. (laughs) Romans 8 finishes this thought just so beautifully, captures it. Romans 8.15 says, You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Isn't that beautiful? You're no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Beautiful. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, and now we call him Father. Empty-handed but alive in your hands. Majesty. I get to call you Father. And what does he call me? Son. Abba, Father. Romans 8, 16. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we indeed are God's children and nothing can change that. Isn't that a beautiful truth? My prayer for us this morning, my prayer for you this morning, is that we'll take our eyes off. Yes, if you were to say, I did these things, I did do those things. I failed. I sinned. I blew it. I got angry. I looked at something I should have looked at. And I failed. But that's all behind me. And what is before me is the finished work of Christ. And shame would say, that's who I am. But Christ says, this is who I am. And by faith in Christ, I'm not that person. It's what I've done. But I've done it because of the brokenness of my own heart. I've done it because of the past. I've done it because of what I've brought into this life. But it doesn't define me. It's not who I am. Who I am by receiving the word of God is I am righteous made holy by faith in God through Jesus Christ. What a position. What a truth. And we 
get to choose. Slave of sin, slave of righteousness. What a father. What a savior. What a family. He calls us righteous. And he calls us, he calls me to be his own. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for the truth of your word, your word which cannot change and does not change, your word which is truth and declares truth. In spite of how we may feel, think, act, your word is true. And thank you that it is by faith in you that we are made righteous and have been made righteous through Jesus Christ our Lord. When the enemy throws stuff against us, May we stand firm in your word and in your truth. And pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning that tonight, today will be a time of being refreshed in the truth of who we are in you for your glory, that may we go out and serve you in the fullness of your spirit, which lives so mightily and powerfully within us. And I pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.